0: So how many of you are aware that humans are really good at getting things out of order? I mean, we do. We get a lot of things out of order. You know, we go and we like to buy something before we earn the money to actually pay for it, right? And so we get in something called debt and we become a a borrower instead of a lender. We become really enslaved in that way. We get things out of order and we're just following Washington, D.C. on that, right? So, I mean, if they can do it, we can do it. Um, yeah, if, if all your friends are jumping off a cliff, would you follow them type thing, right? Anyway, we get things out of order. We get things out of order. Mankind chooses sex before marriage. The results are catastrophic. Brokenness, pain, sexually transmitted diseases, abortion. We've forgotten that old saying. I don't even know if... if, if the generations today even remember that. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in a baby carriage, right? There's an order to things. And when we get things out of order, things break, things fall apart. And many Christians were prone to get our relationship with God out of order. We jump right into working out our salvation as if we're trying to impress God and we'll, we'll jump into that before we've allowed God to do his deep work within us. We miss God's grace when we do that. And all of a sudden, the Christian life, instead of being a life of rest and peace and joy, and yes, there's always a battle, but we can battle from a place and live from a place of peace. Even in the midst of the storm, we can be at peace. But when we get things out of order, all bets are off. All bets are off. In fact, what's one of the worst things that can happen? Say you're doing a road trip, and and you know, you've been... You've been drinking that, that Big Gulp, which you shouldn't do because those things are horrible for you. But let's say you've been drinking a Big Gulp. You're a couple hours into it. You're looking for a restroom, aren't you? And so you finally find that there, there's one place in between here and Carry, and you pull over. Sorry about that. You pull over and you go to the restroom and you see the sign you don't want to see. Out of order. Out of order is not a good thing. Out of order means something's broken. Out of order is bad. Well, in the book of Ephesians, Paul lays out God's divine order for humanity. And we talked about that a little bit last week as we had stage one or part one of the book of Ephesians. And if you remember, I used that analogy of a rocket and SpaceX, and they have a two-stage rockets that they send up, and, and what happens first is stage one rocket ignites and gets that rocket off the ground, and then after they're off the ground at a certain time, stage one is finished, and stage two ignites and propels them into orbit. And if you get those out of order, if stage two ignites before stage one is complete, the whole thing blows up. And that's the way it is in life. And so Paul, in the book of Ephesians, he lays out the proper order, the two stages of Christian living. Stage one is that vertical relationship with God. That has to be there before stage two happens, which is that horizontal relationship with others, with with one another. We have our salvation, stage one, that's worked in us. And then stage two is us working out our salvation. We have stage one, which is, which is doctrine, the doctrine of grace and the doctrine of, of, of Jesus and, and justification, and then stage two happens, and we begin to walk in that duty and the doing of the reality of who we are in Christ Jesus now. Stage one is receiving the gospel of Jesus. Stage two is our response to the gospel of Jesus. And so we notice that things In God's kingdom, they have an order to it. It's not just anything goes. It's not whatever your order is, is your order, and it's going to work out fine. It doesn't work that way. Christian behavior always flows out of Christian belief. Again, out of order and everything blows up. And so last week, we were reminded of God's purpose and power that are in Christ. it, then we launch into stage two of Christian living. And here we are in Ephesians chapter four, verse one, where Paul writes, and as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, that's a strong word, by the way, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. In other words, I urge you, don't squander God's grace. You have an amazing gift. You've received an amazing gift. Now grab hold of that gift and live it out. Live it out fully for God's glory. Title of today's message, is, it's time to live for God. Amen? I got a couple of amens on that. It's time to live for God. Man, if you've been made new in Christ Jesus, if you're a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come, and we get to live for God now we couldn't before man you couldn't do anything right before you didn't have a chance before in fact you were an enemy of God before but now because of what Christ has done for you you're a saint that's what scripture calls you and we can live for God so if you've embraced the gospel then it's time to embrace unity And because we have unity with God, we can have unity with one another. And so this is interesting. This is the first thing in the book of Ephesians that Paul goes to after that vertical relationship. The first thing in the horizontal relationship he mentions is unity. Check it out here in verse 3 of chapter 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. In other words, because you have unity with God in Christ, now have unity with one another. The first step in Christian living, unity with one another. We're on the same team. Look around. We're on the same team. In fact, we're in the same family now. And even if we don't agree on all doctrinal things, pre-trib, post-trib, ah, post, pre, all, whatever it may be, even if we have differences in doctrine, we can and we are called to maintain the unity of the Spirit. The unity of the Spirit. So the church is made up of a whole lot of different people. Look to the person next to you and say, you're different. Y'all are different. Y'all are different. This is a whole room full of different people. But stage two of Ephesians says this about us, underscores the fact that we're one. We're different, but we are one. We're on the same team. In fact, this word one is, is really important here in chapter four. In fact, it's really important throughout the Bible. Check this out in verse four of Ephesians four. There is one body, one spirit, Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. There is one. There is one. There is one. I got this picture this morning as I was thinking about this passage of Scripture in particular, about, about there's, there's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Jesus, one Savior, right? And it's kind of like this. There's, we're all these different people. We're all messed up. We all got our issues and we're all just going through life. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Here he is. Just say that this podium right here, this table is him, right? And here he is. And we're all just, we're orbiting around, just messing up, doing whatever. All different kinds of people from different walks of life. Man, we look different. We talk different. We act different. But all of a sudden, he gets our attention, The one gets our attention and we turn to him and in faith we respond to him and all of a sudden all these different people because of the one become one in him. We all become one in him. And so here we are today. A whole lot of different people. You just looked at the person next to you and said you're different. But we're one. Because of Jesus. And and there's a couple things I thought about this, about about one. It's not one and done, by the way. There's a lot of people, I'm telling you, and I mention this from time to time, that think, you know, it's just Jesus and me. I got Jesus, that's all I need. That's not biblical, y'all. It's not just Jesus and that's all, it's not just one and done. It's like a buy one, get one type thing with God. It's like you get Jesus, but then you get his family as well. It's not just you and Jesus. It's you and all these different people all around you right here in this room and beyond, and beyond. Look, here you go. When Seth marries my daughter Faith, Seth, you're not just getting that beautiful young girl there. You're getting our whole family, brother. You're getting all of us. You're getting us all, man. And that's how it is with, with the Lord, right? We get Jesus. He's our Savior, man. He's, he's the prize. I mean, oh my goodness. But, but, but we get his whole family as well. And sometimes you go, but I don't want that. But, but God knows you need that. We need Jesus and we need God's whole family. We're in this together, we're one in Christ, and we're called to embrace our new family, God's family, with love. But here's the deal just because we're one body doesn't mean we lose our individual flair. Look to the person next to you and say, You're different. Say it again, right? You're different, and you're still different. We're all still different. We're one in Christ, but we haven't lost our individual flair. We're still who God made us to be. You see, unity is not uniformity. Unity isn't uniformity. I don't want a bunch of Erics around here. That would be really hard. I'm hard enough to deal with. Amen. Amen. I got a whole bunch of amens on that. I set that one up. So not everyone's the same. <laughs> but everyone is needed, okay? Not everyone's the same, but but even people like that, we're, we're all needed, okay? We're all needed. Paul puts it this way: this is in Ephesians 4:11. It was the it was he speaking of Jesus who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why? To prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then jump into verse 16. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Are you in each part? You are in each part. You are. It's a reminder we all benefit. We all become stronger when we're all coming to the table, the family table together and operating in our gifts. When we're being who we are, saying what we know, and giving what we have. We're better when we're all doing that. In fact, I want to make a few statements. You won't become mature in Christ all alone just you and Jesus. You won't become mature. Paul just said it. You need the other parts of the body. You need the other gifts in the body so that you'll be built up and become mature. You you won't attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ alone apart from the body of Christ. You do life with Jesus and YouTube, you will not attain the fullness of Christ in that way according to what Paul is saying. You need all the parts of the body working together with you to become mature. We won't experience the full power and purpose in Christ if it's just us alone. We need each other. And that's why we need to do life together. You know, that's one of the reasons that, that Great Hearts Christo said, Evident Life Church is happening the way it's happening. We wanted to do, we felt we felt impressed, like strongly by the Lord, that we needed to do more. We're doing homeschool co-ops, hundreds of students here uh, every week with homeschool co-ops. We have we, we we launched a brand new thing with with ACSTO to help churches pool their money together to send their kids to Christian schools. We we've, we've done some groundbreaking things, but we felt impressed. That we we needed to do more and we wanted to do more. But how were we going to do it? How were we all alone as a local church going to start a world-class Christian school? How was that going to happen? We looked at all different ways. You know how it ended up happening? When we looked beyond into the greater body of Christ. And we saw what God was doing and who he had gifted and and what was out there and the Lord connected us with others like great hearts and others and, and brought us together for such a time as this. We're better, we're stronger, we're maturing together as the body of Christ. We're better together. Now you know this, if you limit your time with God, you're gonna be limiting your spiritual maturity. That's pretty obvious, right? If you don't pray, if you're not in God's word, if you're not thinking on him, you're limiting your spiritual maturity, man. In fact, I would say you're not only limiting it, you're drying it up. But this is also true. If you limit your time with God's family, with the church, then you're going to be limiting your spiritual maturity. Again, go back to that. He gave pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets. Why? To build up the body until we all reach unity and faith and knowledge, and become mature, attaining the whole full measure of Christ. Together. You see how that works? Together. We're in this together. We're maturing together. But I want to ask you this. What is your gift? What is it that you bring to the table? We're all different. Somebody just looked at you and said, you're different. You're different, but that is good. You have something that we need. And without you... And who you are and what you bring, we are lacking. We're lacking. But I don't don't have a lot to bring. It's not about whether you think you have a lot or a little. It's about showing up and just being who you are, saying what you know, and giving what you have, and let God sort it out. Let God do what God's going to do in you and through you. We need you. You need us. I'm thinking of that. Is that a Barney song? I need you, you need me. We're a happy family. Anyway, that's the kind of stuff you got to get out of your head. I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Purple dinosaurs and stuff. Lord help me. Anyway. So we need to embrace unity. Paul said it later in in, in another book in Romans. He said, though we are many, we are one body in Christ. So point number one is as we're launching that second stage and and we've been made new in Christ, we've embraced grace and and we have salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone and, and we're new creations in Christ. Now we're launching into living for God Embrace unity, number one thing that Paul mentions in Ephesians. Embrace unity. The second thing is, is that we need to embrace change. If you have unity with God through Christ, if, you, if your life is brand new in Jesus then you better be ready to embrace a whole lot of change. How many of you love change? How many of you love change? I got like two hands, maybe three up in the room. I like change. I don't know if I love it, but I like change as long as I want change. You know what I'm saying? But, um, but I'm pretty good with change typically. Um, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you got to embrace. You got to be ready for change because here's what happens. I'm going to just say, it, everything changes. And now look back at yourself before Jesus. I hope you want everything to change. Because you were pretty pathetic, you know what I'm saying? You were pretty lost. You were pretty desperate. You were going to hell in a handbasket. We all were. I was. It was not a good situation. And, and when, when, when I needed change, I didn't need a tweak I needed like wholesale change in my life. I needed everything to change. And God is really good at changing everything. God doesn't do things halfway. He doesn't just throw a little bit at it. He went all in. He went to the cross. He spilled his blood for it. And when you embrace that, you're embracing wholesale change in your life. And that's a good thing. I was going to call this point the Christian's new groove, kind of like the emperor's new groove. I mean, there's change. We got a whole new way of living. We think different. We act different. We, we talk different. We change. Here's the deal. You hear this about Christians like, hey, come as you are, right? Come to Jesus as you are. I'm going to tell you what. If you sincerely come to Jesus as you are, you, you will change. Nothing will remain the same. Nothing will remain the same. Don't come to Jesus and expect to remain the same. Come to Jesus and be ready to be changed, from glory to glory. I want to tell a little story here. Hang with me. Hang with me here. So, in high school, it was my freshman or sophomore year. I don't remember which one it was. I'm getting a little old right now. But one of those two years in high school, I ran cross country. Y'all know what that is, right? That's like long distance running. And you're looking at me, going, "Why did you do that?" I. It was insane. I mean, look at me. I'm built not to run long distance. I'm built to run into people, right? That's what I'm built for. I'm built to run into people, but I thought I'm going to run long distance instead, and I was horrible at it, by the way. After that, I played football, and I did what I was made to do, and that's run into people, right? But anyway, so there's this year that I ran cross country, a whole season of cross country. I was horrible at it, by the way. It was bad news. I was, it, was, it was a practice run. We were training, and it was like a five-mile run, and I don't know. I shouldn't have gone on the run. I ate something for lunch, and it just was not agreeing with me. It was a bad situation. I'm a mile into the run, and I'm just going to say it. I soiled my drawers. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe y'all have never done that, but there's a point in life sometimes where you just can't stop something. You know what I'm saying? And this was one of those cases. I'm off a mile away from the school, and this happens to me. I mean, it was a, a young man's worst nightmare. Anyway, it wasn't a big deal because I was like at the back of the, the run anyway because that's that's how good I was at it, right? And so I just stopped running. I turned around, and I made my way back to, back to the school. And listen, when something like that happens, you don't just, you know, clean those drawers up and put them back on another day. It was one of those things where I threw them away. They were done. They were unredeemable. You know what I mean? Jesus can redeem anything, but I was not going to let him try to redeem these shorts. It was what it was. And here's my point, y'all. We've all soiled our lives. Our lives have been soiled. We, we've, we have torn up, dirty, bloody, stinky, soiled lives, and, and life has taken a toll on us, and it's time to change our clothes, but not just kind of like wash them up and, and put them back on. Paul says this in Ephesians 4.22, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Not just control it, not just make better, not just tweak your old self and, and to keep your old self around, you know, for, for laughs and giggles. No, you were told to, take, uh, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And then to put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see the analogy Paul's using here? You see the picture that he's painting here? We have to reject those basic, that old fleshy and worldly stuff and assumptions and ways of thinking and living that brought us so much trouble. We got to take it all off, remove it, get rid of it. I wasn't about to put those shorts back on. You could have run it through the wash 10, 12 times. I wasn't about to go back to those shorts again. It was time for some new drawers. You know what I'm saying? And, and I hope that we feel that way about our lives now in Christ. I mean, he spilled his blood to give us a new set of clothes not just to clean up the old ones so we can put them back on and and see if we can do better this next time. No, we have a whole new set of clothes, a whole new life, a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of living that we get to and are charged to actually put on. So taking off the old, rejecting that old nature, it's only the first step. Because step number two is putting on the wonderful possibilities of a new life, of being a new man or a woman in Christ Jesus. Oh, and by the way, it's just one or the other. You're either a new man in Christ or a new woman in Christ, and God decided that when he knit you together in your mother's womb. I just want to make sure we're clear about that, right? So it's just one or the other. But we have to put on the new humanity, which is being made Into the image of God, which is incredible. We don't have to wear that old raggedy, stinky, soiled clothes anymore. We aren't that old person anymore. Anyone who who is in Christ is what? A new creation. The old has what? Passed away. Behold, the new has come. Don't go back to the old. Don't put it back on. Oh, but it's cleaner than it used to be. It's still the old. Put on the new put on the new. We have a new set of clothes given to us from heaven, new garments of praise, garments of holiness, garments of peace and righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. Man, that's what God has given us as his children. And here's the other thing. Have you all ever heard this this phrase, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery? You know, sometimes when people copy, copy you, you can get offended. Like somebody's copying you. I, I, <clears throat> did you know that God wants us to copy him? God has called us to imitate him. And he's not, he's not offended by that. He's actually flattered. He's blessed. He's called us to do that. I got this little story. So, so back in the day, we, we were running with, with some family friends, and, and we had our two older boys, Jake, our oldest, who's 27 now, and then Grant, who's about to turn 25, but, but they were just born. So, so Jake was born, and, the, and these friends that we were running with, they, they, um, Jake and Grant both were born, I think, by this point, but, but the, the friends we were running with, they had their first boy, and, and they wanted to call him Jake. They wanted to name him Jake. And so they were like, well, is that going to be okay with the Joneses? I mean, we're kind of just copying their name, but we really like that name. We want to call our boy Jake. And so they did. And that was whatever, right? But then they have a second son. And guess what they want to call him? They want to call him Grant right? And so then it got a little awkward and they were a little worried and wondering, you know, are they going to be okay with this? And so we're copying them. And, and then they were thinking, well, we probably won't be their friends in a couple years anyway, so it really doesn't matter. And well, they're still our friends. And, and we didn't take offense at that. It was flattery. It was like, that's totally cool. And what? We don't own those names anyway, right? Check this out. Check this out. Here's where I'm going with this. Ephesians 5. Be imitators of God. What's this new life look like? How do we live this new life? Imitate God. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The sincerest way to honor the Lord is to imitate him. And the primary way... That we imitate God is through love and by love. So changed by his love that we love others the way that he has loved us. Now here's one of the ways in Ephesians 5, just a few verses later, that Paul says that we can imitate Christ. Here's one of the ways. In verse 8, For you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. So let's just stop right there. One of the ways that we can imitate God, one of the ways we can honor God is to live as those new creations, to live as those that have been rescued out of darkness into the marvelous light. That's one way we honor God and one way we imitate him, right? And then it goes on, for the fruit and Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all godliness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. I wonder, do you spend time doing that? Do you have some time carved out in your day, in your week, in your month? What pleases you, God? Do you ever sit and ponder, what pleases you, Lord? You know, I got a whole day ahead of me. What would please you, God? I don't know, just a thought. Find out what pleases the Lord. And then Paul says this, and have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. How do we imitate God? By having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather exposing them. That's one of the ways. What does that mean? It means that we shouldn't participate in sinful stuff. I'm going to dive into this a little bit. Because I think, that, I think we need to talk about this as the body of Christ right now. It was mentioned earlier in the service. Our world's pretty messed up. Y'all know that? It's pretty messed up. It's pretty dark right now. Paul says it has nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Look, we shouldn't participate in sinful stuff. And we know that. As Christians, we understand we shouldn't participate in things like abortion. We shouldn't participate in human trafficking. We shouldn't participate in gender reassignment surgeries. We, we shouldn't participate in drag queen story hours or whatever it might be. You know, the, go on and on and on. We, but what about supporting these kinds of things? Have nothing to do. It doesn't say don't do the fruitless deeds of darkness. Paul is saying have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of Darkness. I want to say, are there things that we are doing? Are there things you're doing? Are there things I'm doing? Are there things that that the church is doing that is having something to do with the fruitless seeds of darkness? Are there things that we are doing and engaging in or letting happen that are actually supporting and enabling darkness in our world where people are getting chewed up and spit out by the enemy? I think the answer is probably yes. If we support darkness, then we're having something to do with it. If we're funding darkness, if we're we're bankrolling it, if we're voting for it, we're having something to do with darkness. We just are. If we're turning a blind eye to evil, that's a form of supporting it. If it's happening and you're just like, well, that's over there, that's them. I'm just going to do my life. I'm okay. At least it's not affecting my family right now. We're all good over here, and we just ignore it over there. That's a form of support. Paul tells us to expose this stuff. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose it. Not ignore it just because of convenience. The opposite of exposing something is pretending something doesn't exist. And I think, I'll just tell you, I think that. We do a lot of pretending that stuff doesn't exist or we know it exists exists, and we just, you know, again, la, 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 it's like Nazi Germany, right? You all know that story of what would happen. The church let the whole Nazi regime and Hitler and everything come into power, start doing horrible, horrific things to humanity to the Jews in particular, and what would happen with the church. It got so far down the road, they still didn't know what to do, and so they'd have church service like this on a Sunday morning, and when the trains would go by, filled with the Jews on their way to the concentration camps to be exterminated, the organ players were told to play louder and everybody was to sing louder so that they didn't have to deal with what was actually going on. Are we doing that in some way today as the body of Christ? La, 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 I don't want to know, I don't want to know, whatever, I mean, are we doing that? I I believe we are. We have some tough decisions to make, and I've been wrestling, I tell you, every week, I wrestle with this all week long, and I just bring you all along with it, so you all can share in my pain and my frustration, and just, that, you know what, walk this out with me, all right? All right. Walk this out with me. Because listen, I've been wrestling with this all week long. We got some tough decisions to make. Will we support companies and organizations that are promoting and funding evil? Well, are we though? I think we are. I mean, come on. I'm going to throw some names out there and we should throw names out there and we need to do better at this. Target, for instance. I'm going to go ahead and tell you with what they are doing and promoting and what's behind all that, including Satanists and everything, I'm just being... It's all out there in the news, in the mainstream media. It's in their stores, okay? You don't have to just, this is no conspiracy. This is reality of what's happening in our world today. If you shop at Target, you are giving them their mo- your money, you are funding perversion. I'm going to just call it what it is. Oh, but they're next door and I like it. It's a cleaner store than Walmart. You know, I feel safer when I go to Target. Uh, what are you funding? Kohl's is another store that's right on board with this now. Oh, but they're backtracking now. I don't care if they're backtracking. They, they done did step in it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> they've already stepped in it. They've played their card. they showed their hand. What they've been about probably for a long time. You're going to give them your money? But I really want that shirt. Really. That shirt is that important to you that you're going to give an organization money that's going to lure children into that kind of lifestyle. Really. If you're a beer drinker, Bud Light. I'll just make fun of you anyway if you drink Bud Light. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) How about this one? Public schools and universities. For decades, decades, they have been perverting Our children for decades. And we we give them money. Oh, it's just our taxes. We don't have to give them our tax money in Arizona. We can turn that money and we can give it to Christian schools instead. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. Don't give them your money and don't give them your precious children. But it's more convenient but I really like that public university. They've got a really good science program. Well, you know what? We know a lot more today than we knew two, three, four, five years ago about what's really going on behind the curtain. Okay? This world has changed. It's been changing, and we know now how much it's been changing. Are we going to la, 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 I don't want to know, I'm going to pretend like it isn't and keep supporting and coming alongside of this stuff? Or are we going to be the body of Christ who has nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather exposes it? Jesus had nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but he exposed it and then he turned people to the light. He turned people to salvation through himself, to the kingdom of God, to the better way. To God's way. That's what we should be doing as the body of Christ. I'm wrestling with some stuff right now. My wife doesn't know it. We haven't talked about this because I'm dragging my feet. But we got some decisions to make. We all do. It's time to put the big boy pants on as the body of Christ. It's time to make real decisions. To walk the talk. You know what I'm saying? We got to walk the talk. Therefore, come out from among them. This is 2 Corinthians, not Ephesians, but but 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. We gotta come out from among them. And here's what the the word the Lord gave me this week. Stop living by convenience and start living by conviction. It's not easy. It's hard. It's inconvenient, right? But we have to Stop living by convenience and start living by conviction. Just Give the Caesar what is Caesar's, but Target is not Caesar, y'all. Don't be playing that game. Don't. Target is a is a company. And you have the full discretion to do what you want to with those funds. Finally, and I'll, I'll hit this one quickly, because y'all are going to read all this, right? That's the whole Mission 27 deal, right? You're going to read the scripture yourself. You're going you're to let God just illuminate it, because that's the key right there, is that you're in it. Point number three, embrace love. So we embrace unity, we embrace change, and we embrace love. In chapter five, Paul gets really practical. He lays out what Christ-like love looks like in the real world, in real relationships, And he starts with the most important human relationship on this planet, and that is marriage between one man and one woman, as somebody said earlier in this service. Amen? Amen. And he talks to husbands and wives about love and what what real love looks like. And so you have a wife who follows Jesus. Here's Here's how she shows her love to her husband. She's called to respect her husband and allow her husband to become responsible for her. And he goes on, and and the husband is called to love his wife and to use his responsibility, not for his own gain, but to lay down his life and his own agenda instead of prioritizing himself. By the way, Ephesians 5 talks about marriage. It begins with submit to one another out of love for Christ, by the way. It's mutual submission. It's all underlined, underscored, and lived out in mutual submission. No husband is the boss of the wife. Get that out of your head, okay? I can go on and on about teaching about this, and we'll do that sometime. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. If you, if we as married people would just love one another the way God has told us to love one another in Ephesians 5, your marriage has a 100% chance of success. There's no way it's going to fail, because you're living out of the love of Christ and you're extending that love God's way to your spouse and vice versa, both ways. If it's mutual both ways, mutual submission, I mean, it, it starts to fall apart when one of the parties just decides to abandon it. I get that. That's a whole other situation. But if you have two God-fearing, Jesus-loving, new creations in Christ that have decided I'm going to love my spouse like Christ has told me to love her, to love him, then you're going to have a great marriage. It doesn't mean that things won't be hard. It doesn't mean you don't have to work through things. That's just life. Marriage is one of the biggest sanctifying, you know, places in the entire world. Can I get an amen? amen? Yeah. And the kind of marriage that 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 we're talking about here in Ephesians 5. It's the kind of marriage that's actually reenacting the gospel story. It's displaying Christ-like love. Husbands' actions are like those actions that Jesus has for his church. Men, you're called to lay down your life at your own hurt. But I want to do this. If it's going to hurt your wife, you don't do it. If it's not loving to your wife, you don't do it. You don't do it. Jesus paid it all for us. He laid down his life for us. He went all in. And then it's that picture of the church. The bride and the bridegroom and their relationship. And the church honoring the bridegroom, respecting the bridegroom. Then Paul broadens it and he talks about relationships between children and and parents. And then he talks about slaves and masters and, and, and how this whole love is lived out in real relationships in real time if we've embraced God's purpose and his power that are in Christ Jesus, if we've been made new creations in Christ, then we're called to embrace unity, we're called to embrace change, and we're called to embrace love. I wanna invite you to stand up. I wanna remind you, read Ephesians this week. I read it early this morning again and again. It's an amazing letter. It'll ground you in the gospel and it'll launch you into Christian living. It'll drive you to change. It'll drive you to embrace the church, to embrace love, and to choose conviction over convenience. I think it's going to be interesting for us over the next few weeks just to share maybe some stories, some areas that maybe we've been convicted in, that we, some things we need to lay down. I'm looking forward to seeing what the church is going to do. Next week, we're going to take a deeper dive into Ephesians 6 and talk about spiritual warfare and our involvement in that. But right now, we're going to take communion together.